What's up, Poison Pals? Welcome back to another episode of That Shit is Poison with your hosts, Megan Gesner. And your other host, Harini Bot. Before we start, I just wanted to address something. So we got a listener email or some listener feedback last week from Natasha Green. So thank you, Natasha, for emailing us. And it was in regards to our episode nine, which is the Tylenol, Chicago Tylenol Poisonings, Headache from Hell. Yeah, so towards the tail end of that episode, we, not we, me, Megan, Megan had, both po- us, both yeah. us, Megan. <laughs> we had postulated this, you know, idea of, is it, is it wrong to misgender somebody who has committed a, a crime in this instance, particularly murders, like a, a terrorist act mm-hmm. slash murders. And the reason yeah. why this conversation came up is because, you, you know, Harini and I are just going back and forth. As you all know from that episode, the person who committed the Tylenol poisonings has never been ousted or discovered mm-hmm. like they're still at large. And so we were labeling them as he like pronouning them as he and I made a real quick quip. I was like, oh, technically the person could be a she or a they, you know what I mean? Right. But then I, after that, I quickly postulated, I was like, does it matter if we misgender someone who's committed a crime like a murder? And we yeah. were very quick to say, no, it doesn't matter because their mm. act of criminality slash murder of homicide does not deserve that ounce of humanity to be given the appropriate gender. So Mm -hmm. um, Natasha reached out to us and gave us feedback and educated us and told us like, we always need to be the higher, better people. We don't need to stoop down to vindictive language and stuff like that. And it's, it is always the more appropriate thing to not to be intentionally misgendering of anybody. So we just wanted to thank Natasha for checking us on that. And we wanted to acknowledge it here to show that like, hey, we totally agree. And being more mindful of our language is how we want to move forward. So thank you, Natasha. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, we're just happy to be alive and well. (laughs) We are. Uh, (laughs) We're fully vaccinated. Both of us are now fully vaccinated, which is really exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. Like, I feel like I'm in this surreal limbo of i'm perpetually excited Mm -hmm. but i don't know how to express it yeah you know like (laughs) yes because um when i got my second vax i recognized that with our friend group harini Mm -hmm. i'm on the tail end of getting the second vaccinations because a lot of our a lot of our peers are in healthcare or in Mm -hmm. research and so they've gotten their you know second vaccination long before i have but when i went to the the vac center and got it i was like are people still excited because i hope they are like i'm excited that i'm fully vaccinated like does anyone feel this way um but it was really cool because uh i went to uc san diego's vac center and when you exit there's like a a nurse or Mm -hmm. you know whoever an assistant a helper who has like a pom-pom and is waving it it's like yay you did it i'm like that's "That's what i needed that's so cute i love that yeah it's really cute i was (laughs) i was sharing a story last night with some friends that mm-hmm. I think I forget if I told you this story, Megan, but there was I think it was on a subreddit somewhere. This guy went to go get his vaccination. And now I think everyone's quite familiar with the vaccination process, or especially mm-hmm. with COVID. But I'm sure people have gotten vaccinations before. Anyway, so when you get your vaccination, the nurse or whoever is going to give you the immunization kind of has their whole lineup. They have like the Band-Aid ready. They have like a gauze and like Mm -hmm. the actual injection, right? And so this guy went to go get his COVID vaccine and the nurse or whoever laid everything out. And then 
went back behind the curtain or something to grab something else. And the guy mm-hmm. was like very confused. I was like, oh shit, mm-hmm. like self-serve. And he literally <laughs> takes oh, the no. needle and injects it himself. Oh, and then the nurse God. comes back and was like, what the fuck did she just do? <laughs> <laughs> Oh Whoa. my god. So that's, that's what not to do if you guys are still that's... yet to get vaccinated. Wait, wait, sorry. I'm, I'm, I might have missed this. This person who did the injection himself, did he have like any experience with like giving himself shots or was Absolutely it just some not. random? Okay, Absolutely he was not. just like, I guess I could do this. He was just a so plebe funny. off the streets that just came in to get a vaccination <laughs> one day. <laughs> Poor wow. Guy. That's I don't know wild. what happened with him, but that's so funny to me. I know. Because, like, what do you do? The nurse is probably like, if he didn't inject it right, then it's not going to work. Well, is that... Okay, pharmacist. Harini, as the pharmacist, you tell me. Mm. I'm assuming there's such thing as an improper injection. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Okay, I get the idea of, like, okay, if it's it's shallow or if it goes at a weird angle. But, Mm. like, hypothetically, if this Mm -hmm. person, this guy who did it himself, took it and, like, tried to be really intentional about how he's seen yeah. like shots done in the past sure but he got it an inch lower or yeah, something yeah. yeah would that potentially be like an improper ineffective injection actually no like the way that you described it is like oh if, if mm. it's location wise for the mm. most part you can't go that wrong so assuming that he knows where a vaccination goes it's just like your general arm your upper arm area so if he mm. kind of like hits anywhere in that general region he should be okay but other than that like yeah i think he, he probably got it in all the way unless he like stopped halfway because he was scared and didn't eject fully that would be yeah. the only thing where i'm like oh he, he probably didn't get the full dose yeah do you ever review protocols if that were to happen if you were mm. you know is that something that's that's discussed in in schooling that's like what would crazy. the nurse do Like the nurse can't give him another like, you know, Mm -mm. just to be sure I'm going to give you a follow up to make sure you got it. Because, yeah, that's your that's your one shot. Literally, you're done. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's it. You want to do it yourself. You want to do a DIY. That's on you, boo. But if you don't do it right next in line, that's it. Wow. But that's so funny. No, we've never had to discuss anything like that. And we also never really discuss like, I guess, like if it goes wrong, because it's honestly not hard to give immunization. It really is not. You just go straight in 90 degree angle, depress the vaccine mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're done. That's it. Okay. Anyone can yeah. do it. Truly. Okay. But, but don't like, don't, but don't, like but don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, <laughs> like, it's like you just said a whole story about self-vaccination. <laughs> Yes. It's, no, you shouldn't do it to yourself. Yeah. If you have yeah. access to a, a healthcare professional yes. and that is what you're there for, <laughs> let them do it. Even if they go behind a screen for a little bit. Exactly. Just wait. Just, wait. Then, Just yeah. wait. It's not for yeah. you. Whatever tools are at your disposal, <laughs> they're not for you. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, well, thanks well, for sharing that story. Yeah, That's absolutely. And I think okay. a lot of fun things, not fun things, but a lot of holidays have been happening. I We had a really good, do you have a really good Mother's Day? We had a good Mother's Day. Yeah, I, I was able to drive up from mm. San Diego to Sacramento on Mother's Day. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was able to like catch yeah. the tail end of the day on time. And uh, I bought my mom Krispy Kreme donuts, yeah. original glazed. We ain't <laughs> yes. fancy. We want those original glazed. Does she dozen. like those? 
Yeah, we love them. Okay, like it's, okay, okay. Whenever I used to always, whenever I drove up, there's a Krispy Kreme in Stockton mm. um, right off the highway. So sure. I would grab the Krispy Kreme from that <laughs> Stockton location. Yeah. And then I'd get to Sacramento and it'd always be a treat. So I, I got You're that for her. You're such a good daughter. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> got her that. And then the other gift I got her for Mother's Day was... Um, I think it's a good gift, but okay. some might say it's like a, I'm like re-gifting. Not, sure. but not really. Um, I've owned this burro's tail succulent. Ooh, it's like yeah. very delicate succulent where it like dangles off the edge of the pot or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've owned this succulent for like a couple years. Yeah. And I recognize like it is just not thriving. I don't have the green thumb. I want to so badly, yes. but it's not thriving in its location. Sure. So I ended up repotting and basically repotting and dividing up parts of it mm-hmm. and adding like one more succulent to this larger pot. So I gave that to my mom because she's like currently landscaping her new backyard. Yeah. And I figured she'd like some more plants. So. That's so nice. That's very yeah. thoughtful actually. Mm-hmm. And did yeah. she enjoy that? I think so, but it's <laughs> currently just sitting on the side of the house. Yes. yes. Um, you know, just chilling. <laughs> yeah, so. she'll, she'll get around to it eventually. Yeah. We busted out the barbecue for the first time this year and nice. we grilled and cooked some really well, Dave and I cooked a meal for my parents and obviously for my mom. Mm-hmm. And then just like mother, like daughter, I am a big fan of cards, like handwritten cards. And mm-hmm. because of my mom is a big fan of them too. So I got yeah. her a card that is on the front. It has the incredible, the mom from the Incredibles. And it's just basically Elastigirl. inside. Yeah. Yeah. Elastigirl. <laughs> and it basically says like, it says something like very cheesy, like you are the most incredible mom and you're incredible because you're my mom. <laughs> something like that. That's so cute. Yeah. That's so cute. I, that's, that's really, really sweet. And I hope this doesn't take away from the, that sweetness. But in my head, I'm like, did the card also read like, you're incredible because you got the same incredible donk that Elastigirl. <laughs> oh my God. Dude, I love how like they, Pixar is a little bit cheeky, pun intended, mm-hmm. with yeah. like their humor, even though it's like mm-hmm. a kid's, you know, not channel, yeah, but yeah, a yeah. kid's network, I guess, like movie network. Right, right. And that is a really good movie, by the way. It is so good. It's so that the adults who have no choice, <laughs> because their children ask them so desperately, yes. I want to see this movie in theaters. It's so exactly. that the adults can have some sort of like fun when they mm-hmm. watch these That's films. That's 100%. That, and on that note, it's so funny because later that day, we also busted out the fire pit. And then uh-huh. we were just like chilling around the campfire in my home and asking each other questions i literally searched camp like questions to ask around the campfire and then we just were like going around answering the same questions and one of them was what was the first movie you watched in theaters and Mm. it was just interesting to hear like different generations of answers yeah and my very first movie i watched with my dad was babe in the city Oh, babe in the city, not even or, babe. Just... No, 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 babe. It was babe. You're right. Okay, you're right. It was babe. Okay, okay, okay. It was just babe. <laughs> okay. And that was the highlight of my life. I remember writing it in my kindergarten journal because they make you write something every single day. So I wrote that in my yeah. journal and then I went and it was chef's kiss. So good. I feel like the first movie I had ever seen in theaters was one of like the Disney Renaissance films. Mm. Maybe it was Tarzan. I don't know if that falls into that category. What uh, is Disney Renaissance? I've never even heard that term. It's all the all the hand-drawn animated oh. Disney films from the 90s, oh, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You like Aladdin and Mulan. Yeah. And all that stuff. Yeah, I can't recall. Anyway. I'm trying to think if this has any transition to what I'm going to talk about, but it absolutely does sure. not. 
Well, That's okay. I guess sort doesn't of. Need to. Doesn't have to be, but there's a very small connection, and I'm asking myself. I hope I stretch before I make this reach, but the stretch is: we're in COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Or in the tail end, hopefully. Fingers crossed of COVID. We have received our vaccinations for the most part. So I did a little bit of reflecting and. I was like, I would really enjoy looking at a snapshot in time of the pandemic during 1918 and kind Mm. of understanding what the heck was going on at that time and similarities and differences. So I was actually really excited when doing this research and I hope it is enjoyable for everyone else because I thought it was enjoyable. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, that's so exciting. No, I I think that's a great topic because... I think we are all thinking about this, that Mm -hmm. like we're almost out of the woods. And I just had this conversation with visiting my mom and sister. We were like driving in the car and I was like, uh, oddly, we were talking about, okay, we were listening to NPR and then we were talking about what was Mm. on NPR, but NPR was talking about people who do buying in fashion and how there are like within the fashion industry there's like think tanks that Mm -hmm. that tell retailers oh in the next couple of years people are going to be wanting wearing this color um, because people will be feeling this way and so they connected that to covid because they're like people are going to really want to buy yellow because it's joyous and freeing and it it makes you not think about the stuff that we just went through in the last year and so it made me think about 1918 i was like i would love to see because we know after 1918, we entered the Roaring Twenties. That's true. And I think like that's wow. what's going to happen now. And I just yeah. have this whole theory that because part of the... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm like rambling. No, no. Please but go. Part of, yeah. part of the <laughs> NPR bit, they were, talking about, they were talking about how a lot of the fashion trend is also the 70s aesthetic when it comes to um, mm. writing mm-hmm. on clothes. So, you know, like the like yeah. um, bubbly letters yeah, yeah. and big, bold colors. And I have this theory that, w- and Drew, Drew and I have talked about this. Yeah. I have this theory that um, we're entering like a 70s renaissance, Ooh, essentially. I'm going to use that term be again. So cool. Because, yeah. because I think that like we're also seeing like a contemporary counterculture yeah um with how social media is and all these things so anyways i'm excited to hear what you have to say because this is fresh on my brain yeah that's actually a really good tidbit of information that you shared that's really really interesting and that also makes me excited if that's the case and you're exactly right put my Mm. finger on it in terms of that term but Mm -hmm. now that you're saying that i'm like absolutely we're already living in this counterculture and it's kind of been brewing under the surface for some time and i feel Mm -hmm. like covid just kind of pushed everyone to that uh, space for sure and when we say everyone my mind goes to the age demographic of like i don't know maybe 45 and under sort of thing you know But yeah, so, okay, Poison Pals, settle on in, because now Harini's going to take us away, because it's her turn today, and she's going to slay. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got to rhyme, got to rhyme. <laughs> All right, let's All right. do it. So I'm going to time travel you back, come into my hot tub time machine. Bubble, bubble. Go, bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. <laughs> and we're going to go back to 1918. So I have noticed... In the last couple episodes, I have been so horrible at listing my sources. I'm going to list it at the top of the episode. 
And let me tell you, Poison Pals, I really went all out on this episode in terms of sources. I paid three whole dollars to subscribe to the New York Times archives because whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a real researcher now, <laughs> journalist. So the reason being, I believe the New York Times for the most part, you can just access per usual, it's no problem. But what I wanted to access was something called the Times Machine that the New York Times has. Are you familiar with this, Megan? I had no idea that that existed. <laughs> okay. And I freaking love that. Yes. That name. Mm. Chef's kiss. So good, right? Okay, and it's exactly what you think it might be. So obviously the time New York Times has been around for quite a long time. And what you can do is through this Times machine, you can basically search any date in the history of the New York Times and it takes you back, it has a digital copy of the print of that newspaper. The whole shebang, like if it's a 26 page newspaper that day, you're gonna see all 26 pages. You can just rifle through them. So I wanted to go back in time and go through the year of 1918 and a little bit of 1919, just to kind of see what was going on at the time? What were people talking about? Was the pandemic front page news? Because the biggest thing that I took away from this, and I don't think a lot of people knew a ton about the 1918 pandemic before obviously COVID, and that's because it's literally labeled the forgotten flu. A lot of people just kind of gloss over it in time and history. So I want to know why that is. Okay. So yes, that was my first source, the Times Machine from the New York Times. I got articles from the Smithsonian, from again, another New York Times article, article from Ranker, which I love Ranker. Ranker's a really good site. Uh, HistoryState.gov, The Conversation, PBS.com. I think that's it. Okay. Nice. Like I said, since we're starting to slowly progress out of the nightmare that is COVID, I want to take a look back at the 1918 flu pandemic just to get an inside look as to what the heck was going on at that time and how did they deal with it. I'm going to tell a three-part story that will sort of take us around the globe and give us an inside look into the pandemic from three different global perspectives. Let's first start out in our immediate home country of the U.S. of A., Mm -hmm. Okay, so the year is 1918. The world is raging with war and disease because, mind you, it is also World War I. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take you back to the Times newspaper. It's September 15th, 1918. Mm. The front page, the very front page headline title is Peace is now proposed by Austria-Hungary. Americans repulse attacks and move on. And that's like, I'm telling you, for a good, I flipped through every single freaking page mm. and I had to flip through 14 pages before I even saw anything regarding wow. the flu. Yeah. Wow. And on page 14, in very tiny, probably 10 point font, there was a paragraph mm. stating that the influenza pandemic has affected 2000 soldiers in the Boston area and mm. is spreading to other towns. Military health officials don't believe quarantine is necessary as this disease will run its course on its own. Hmm. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, that's just like commentary on like being involved in the war or like the severity yeah. of how, you know, at, we're involved. Mm -hmm. It's of course, that's going to be priority, you know, because that's yes. what everyone's looking at or like or how are my loved ones, what's going on. I can understand why 
there's only a paragraph dedicated to the influenza and why even in that paragraph how they're talking about like we don't think there's a quarantine needed because we're still in war like that's the priority i'm not trying to justify it but like no no yeah i can understand like why that was how it was first reacted to in that way 100% and I 100% agree with you and that just makes me reflect on today like if Mm -hmm. we were in like a full world war right now Mm -hmm. and we had COVID it would be very interesting to see how things are covered and how much mm-hmm. things are covered. So, and exactly what you're saying, this seems to be like very like early into mm-hmm. the pandemic. So, you know, people aren't going to give it too much attention. Yeah. But one misconception I want to clear up right now is mm. that whenever we hear the 1918 flu, we always hear it as the Spanish influenza, the Spanish flu, mm. and thinking it originated from Spain when that's mm-hmm. actually not true. So, mm. health experts mostly trace it back to originating in the midwest of the united states actually so specifically kansas from Mm. american soldiers that were stationed at fort riley and it spread like wildfire across europe once those soldiers went abroad to fight in the war Uh, so yeah so basically they they were deployed to fight and from there it spread to the rest of europe what is the etymology of the Spanish flu. Like, why was that the ter- the layman's term, the public's term for it? I don't even understand. Like, I'm not entirely sure. The only thing that sort of popped up was that Spain was heavily hit, mm. um, more so than other countries in Europe. I don't think people caught it at the time. Like, I don't think people were doing, you know, contact tracing like we are right now and mm. during the COVID pandemic. It was more of like a retrospective fact that they learned that it actually traced back to Kansas. Mm. At the time, it just seemed to all of a sudden appear in Europe, not Mm. thinking it came from these soldiers in the United States. So it must have started in Europe in Spain is what it seems to be like. And when Harini said started poison pal, she put Mm. quotation marks around the word started in Spain, started in Europe. That's an interesting thing. Because we know how we globally have addressed calling COVID the Chinese Mm, flu or whatever, right? Like in how that is not okay for me, like, because I am not a historian, I'm not an anthropologist, not a public health expert. So it's very hard for me to think about this event that happened so long ago in 1918 and what the culture was like in that day. Because like... What I want, okay, I'm having a hard time expressing myself, but <laughs> yeah, what I, I what I don't want to do is yes. put my 21st century Brain. cultured mindset yeah. onto this past historical event because culture shifts and changes. What originally came to mind when you with the whole, oh, it started in the Midwest, but it has been perpetually known as a Spanish flu because Spain was hit hard by that. Mm. You know, naturally, my mind goes oh, well, isn't that typical of us for for us to write history in a way where it makes us look good, benefits mm-hmm. us. We place the we place another country's name on front of it, despite the fact that it originated in our own United States. Right. Yeah. Our that's own how backyard. my that's my first instinct. But then my second instinct is, well, what was the you know, gl- how was reporting of how you mentioned testing contact testing Mm -hmm. like what was that like back then Mm -hmm. is it retroactive in a way that is intentional and malicious and pro-american or is it retroactive in a way where we just didn't have the resources to 
understand until much 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 later mm-hmm. that it mm-hmm. that it wasn't from spain you know yeah so i definitely the think it was the I former ask. oh you yeah uh, you think so yeah i definitely that's at least that's the vibe i got from yeah. the articles i was reading it was more okay. like they found out much later because they didn't have the wherewithal because one the war was like you said a first priority so they mm-hmm. w- weren't putting a lot of resources towards this quote-unquote you know disease and flu right. that's been coming around town so i think it was something that had to happen later on got it and then at a, at a certain point interest in public health and interest in the flu yes. you know moves forward and disappears so no one's bothering to look back and be like we should really change this name totally. you know what i mean like totally. no one's yeah it's kind of done and dusted that's interesting with. it's, it's an interesting passed. conversation absolutely yeah. so then i move forward one month Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. When I was like, what's after September? <laughs> it's October. Mm-hmm. Okay. October 2nd, 1918. Again, the headline title of the front page is buy bonds till it hurts the Kaiser. Austria appeals mm. to Wilson for peace based on the conditions he has named. All right. Again, flipping, flipping, flipping. Now we're like a little bit inching forward. We're on page mm. 10 now. You finally okay. see, yeah, it's it's getting better. So you finally mm. see a big spread in the paper. And I mean, like, it's not taking up the whole page, but it's like the main middle column now. Mm-hmm. And it's a big spread in the paper about the Spanish flu. Title is Tells a Vaccine to Stop of Influenza. Health Commissioner mm-hmm. is hopeful this will prevent future infections by the virus. Taking volunteers now to try vaccine which mm-hmm. I thought was very interesting. So they did not have a vaccine at the time, although they were trying and attempting, which was really interesting to me because I didn't know that they even tried to create a vaccine. Yeah, It yeah. wasn't until much later until we developed the flu vaccine. I, I don't want to get it totally wrong, and I'll double check this later, but I believe it was around 1940 or 1953 or something like that that we actually flu vaccine mm-hmm. that we take today. What's the like real clinical name for this flu? Maybe I'm just wigging out because I'm like, if I know it's not from Spain, I shouldn't call it Spanish flu. Like, you know, it's just called the, it's just called the great. I mean, if you're making it neutral, they usually call it the great yeah. influenza. It is just flu is influenza. It's just a flu. Influenza, yeah. That's all. It Interesting. Is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you have the different variants like H1N1. But that's I don't mm. I don't know specifically what the, you know, the exact variant was from the pandemic. But if you want to call it more clinically neutral, the mm. great influenza. It's just the flu. It's just, great, it's just the, the great it's just influenza. The flu. Yep. Okay. Interesting. In this mill column, it had in very mm-hmm. big letters with pictures, obviously a lot of pictures, pictures, which is so awesome. It says, remember the three C's, clean mouth, clean skin, clean clothes. So mm. kind of similar-ish to now. And on the right side of that, it had a small little tidbit that said 2,000 saloons had to shut down due to more than 50% decrease in business since last October. Kind of same issues that are happening today. All the bars, restaurants, movie theaters were all closed at the time, except for like essential groceries and things like that. One thing that has nothing to do with the flu, but but just like flipping through these pages, I was like, it's just so, (laughs) it's so fascinating to me. And Megan, I feel like you'll get your full $3 money's worth if you were to decide to do this as well and like take a peek in the times machine. But it is so curious, like what people were so into back then and how much things cost Mm. and blah, 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 blah. Pretty much in every other page, I saw ads for mourning clothes, like when you're in mourning because someone passes, 
like that was all the all the rage get your morning clothes like half off like deals for this on it and i don't know if that's just because like actually now that i'm saying it it might be a little bit morbid maybe because people were dying left and right Mm. because of the flu or just because of the war and that's actually no i'm just realizing that's not funny at all yeah (laughs) shit (laughs) i was like retroactively that's that's why Right. That's why it's all the rage because the war was raging it, it on. It was raging on. My God. Okay. Yeah. But in light of that too, now I'm connecting the pieces in my brain mm. right freaking now. So in some of the pages in the newspaper, there were whole sections just dedicated to people who died in the war and they just have their names all written out. And it is so, yeah. I don't know, like gives you goosebumps to look at that and see how many people how many lives were lost not just to the mm-hmm. pandemic at the time but also of course to the war mm-hmm. now this leads us to the big bang of december 20th 1918 front page mm-hmm. once again wilson to prolong stay abroad clemenceau for league of nations is this hearkening you back to your world history or u.s history classes the headlines are still war stuff, even though the war technically ended in November. And mind you, this is December, right? On the mm-hmm. very last page, the 24th page. Yes, I flipped through 24 pages. Very last mm-hmm. page in nine point font. One paragraph, one teensy paragraph that is smashed in between bigger surrounding stories about complaints on the true ownership of some power lines in the city and an ad about mm. form-fitted collars for 25 cents was a <laughs> tiny article titled Three Million Die of Influenza. What? It is the tiniest paragraph. It is basically a sentence. What? Regarded as the world's greatest plague since the Black Death. Last page. I already know why. I already know why. why. I feel like I can I can speculate and with confidence. Okay, tell. <laughs> do tell. Because the war just ended. Mm-hmm. And no one wants to hear about 3 million people dying because of a flu. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It, it's yeah. wrong. It's definitely wrong. But morale is low. We don't need more negative energy. Mm-hmm. That's as simple as that yeah. in terms of... And it's interesting. It's so fucked. It's, it's <laughs> fucked. And it's interesting because yeah. you would think as the times, you just report the news, mm-hmm. right? Again, like going through these pages, it kind of got my brain thinking like, it's such a huge task day to day to decide what goes where mm-hmm. and w- what gets more coverage versus not. That was a very intentional decision by the, the New York Times, right? Yeah. And I'm sure by other newspapers yeah. and other out- media outlets at the time as well. So it, it's really telling yeah. of people's morale, I would say. That's an interesting, oh man, like it's another like moral postulation yeah. I want to yeah, put yeah. out there. Because I come across this in the work that I do. Part of some of the stuff I do is if a event happens in the country, for example, I'm going to use examples from this mm-hmm. past year, mm-hmm. another black man being shot by yes. police. Yes. Okay. Uh, one of the things I do is I put together some sort of language or it might even be, you know, a statement that's put out by the chancellor of mm-hmm. the university. And what I do is essentially reshare that to our athlete population with added language about, you know, here athletics is here as a resource, whatever you may need. But what often comes into the conversation is it's this duality of it's so critical to acknowledge these events that might be impacting someone, right? 
even if they're even if proximity wise they're not close to where these events happened you know if they're for example Mm -hmm. a black scholar athlete it's very important to acknowledge like hey we see you correct we we know you're probably hurting and we're here to be you know to help Mm -hmm. and support but the added challenge to that here's the duality is sometimes putting this Mm. stuff forward when it's already so Mm -hmm. accessible on tv and social media and all that does it impact their health negatively even further when it's also in a space for example athletics where that might be their one reprieve you know where that might be their one area where it's like i see all this stuff on news as an athlete i come to sports so that i can take a step back from it all right so what what i'm saying is i'm tying this back into that itty bitty paragraph about the flu killing three million people because it it makes me think about responsible Mm -hmm. journalism and responsible news reporting which is you know how do you remain objective as a news outlet where you should just be stating facts like this is the fact of the world while simultaneously stating facts could potentially be harmful i'm not saying withhold Mm -hmm. facts I'm not saying that i'm not saying lie but like yeah I do you got what i'm saying like how Correct. do you balance that like so how do you how do you balance that and be a responsible news I think, outlet i think so that's very what fascinating they found was the balance you know like we have to report it because mm-hmm. this is a huge number but we cannot put it so in the front of the newspaper because it's just too much for people right now we want to acknowledge it it's mm-hmm. better than not acknowledging it at all, I guess, in their eyes. I'm just speaking from, like, possibly their mindset. But it's just too mm-hmm. much. Like, they're they're reading the room at the time, you know? The war has mm-hmm. just ended. People are finally coming home or not coming home at all, right? And people mm-hmm. are... The whole world is in mourning, right? To talk about more right. death, it's just... It's all too overwhelming. And I I completely understand that. At the Mm. same time, like you said, it's like, I may not have had people in the war, but I also don't have my entire family with me because they're all dead from the flu and no one's talking about Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like having that feeling of feeling understood, like you said, feeling seen, Mm -hmm. feeling acknowledged Mm -hmm. of your trauma that you're going through. Mm -hmm. So it is a very difficult thing to navigate for sure. Yeah. 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 So the article, the article does go on to say that World War II is estimated to have caused the, the deaths of roughly 20 million people over four and a half years. At this rate, the flu is five times deadlier than war because if the flu were killing people at the same rate as the war, then in four and a half years, it would have killed 100,000 people. But instead, it killed close to six million all over the world. So... Yeah, just just more stats and statistics that are mind-blowing. But Mm. like I said, keeping this in mind, by the time in December, they are in the second wave of the pandemic. So this is not the first wave. Mm. And the first wave started in March, subsided in the summer, Mm. then picked back up in fall, which is eerily similar to what we saw with the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. In general, there was a lack of news coverage on the flu for a while, unless the news was directly related to the war or they, you know, just had to cover it because of the numbers. There are debates on whether or not to close down schools. Pretty much all other establishments, like I said, movie theaters and sports were stopped. 
the public health effort, as Megan was discussing earlier, at this point in time was non-existent. And there was no such thing as a CDC back then. It did not exist. Most information on what to do and how to be safe came from the New York Health Commissioner, whose name was Dr. Royal Copeland, whose name was actually attached to pretty much every article I read in the New York Times. It was all coming from his mouth. Mm-hmm. He was basically the 1918 Dr. Anthony Fauci. But like I said, mm. the reason why, at least in the U.S., there was little to no coverage on the pandemic was because of World War One, and but mostly because of President Woodrow Wilson. So we're going to take a little detour mm. across the pond and then a little further to Paris, France, 1918. President Wilson wanted to focus on the war effort. Anything negative was viewed as hurting morale. So sort of what we already touched on, right? Mm. The Paris Peace Conference mm-hmm. consisted of David Lloyd George, Prime Minister of Great Britain at the time, President Woodrow Wilson, who we know, and George Clemenceau, who's the PM mm-hmm. or Prime Minister of France. It was a long, long, mm. long back and forth debate. So they're all in Paris. They're all having these back and forth conversations. The war has pretty much ended or is going to end, and they have to decide what to do with the entire world, basically. Like, how are we going to safely and fairly end this war that has so damaged so many countries? And how are people going to get payment back for everything that's been lost, all the buildings that have been torn down and et cetera, et cetera, right? There's a lot of reparations to be be paid for. Mm -hmm. And the main focus of it all was Germany. What to do with Germany? So Wilson was very firm on Mm -hmm. his stance that Mm -hmm. he wanted to extend forgiveness to Germany with minimal reparations, hoping that if every country had self-determination, it would prevent all future wars. It was pretty idealistic. All of it was pretty idealistic. The 14 points, League of Nations, if this is all coming back to you guys. But, you know, you can't knock him for trying. They had never seen anything like this before. This is First World War. What are you going to do? But Clemenceau, the prime minister of France, Mm. basically was like, are you for serious right now? Like Germany literally destroyed Paris, (laughs) destroyed most of France and Europe in general. Mm -hmm. We didn't ask for this. Germany started this. And they lost. Mm. And since they put us into this mess, they need to pay. Mm -hmm. He was firm on his stance that Germany must pay for what they've done and therefore should be forced to pay maximum reparations and be excluded from Mm. Wilson's proposed League of Nations. So very harsh against Mm -hmm. Germany. The thing is, Mm -hmm. Wilson Mm -hmm. was a very rigid man. I was looking into like his personality, like his demeanor. He was of his way or the highway Mm. type of person extremely unlikely to budge on what he Mm. wanted and that did not exclude from the these paris peace talks across the world and definitely back at home in the u.s the flu was killing millions of people yet president wilson would not acknowledge or make any statement about the pandemic even though his personal secretary his oldest daughter and multiple secret service members contracted the flu even the white house sheep got the flu apparently which I didn't know they had sheep at the time. Not the sheep. Not the sheep. This is the second time that sheep have been impacted in our, in our podcast. podcast. I know, poor things. <laughs> then, in the middle of the peace talk negotiations, President Wilson falls violently ill with the flu in April mm-hmm. 1919. But Wilson strictly informs his staff to downplay his illness to the public, so they state mm-hmm. his illness was simply due to overwork and the Paris chilly and rainy weather. 
But behind mm. the scenes, President Wilson couldn't even sit up in his bed, let alone get out of it. He was experiencing severe coughing fits, a lot of stomach and GI issues, and was holding 103 fever. Okay, wait. Side, and, <laughs> side note. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So part of me is like, man, he's not even letting the <laughs> French prime minister have his say. And he's blaming Paris's weather on his sickness. Dude, Woodrow Wilson is a... I don't know. I don't know enough about him, but I'm. I, I don't know anything based, much about him until based like on today. what you're saying. I'm like, he sounds rude. <laughs> <laughs> he, and he kind of was like, he didn't really. I don't know. Okay. When other countries, I feel think of Americans. Yeah. It's very like kind of self-centered, and it's all about me, me, me. Yeah. And that's kind of how I got the impression of him. Yeah. And the thing is, it wasn't just physical symptoms he was also in a very confused state of mind the usually predictable wilson as they described him was starting to bark out orders unexpected orders and he got incredibly worked up over furniture that he claimed suddenly disappeared despite the fact that nothing had ever been moved wow (laughs) so he became completely disoriented and was talking in whispers to his inner circle saying things like shh they can hear us the french spies it's like the french spies are here (laughs) so he was just very paranoid and just out of his mind a little bit while he was very very sick interesting one thing his inner circle did say though is wilson was never the same after his sickness wow in what ways i'm sure you're gonna tell us i don't know if i am oh no (laughs) i think well i mean in the way that i'm i guess i am kind of gonna say it but he was just very weakened and i don't know if you remember yeah forgetting now what else he contracted but he got sick again and then died okay. <laughs> and basically ever since after he got the flu his wife was essentially the one running the show yeah uh poison pals you couldn't see this but i was hardcore laughing when harini was just like you got sick of that again and died <laughs> you said it with such like conviction conviction <laughs> Despite being so terribly ill with the flu, Wilson would go on to never have issued a single statement about the influenza pandemic or acknowledge the damage it had done. Just ever. He will never say anything about Mm. it. Which is kind of an interesting comparison. Honestly, my first thought when I was reading that was Trump, right? Mm, It was mm -hmm. the majority of the president when we were during the COVID pandemic. And of course, he acknowledged it plenty of times. I mean, he he did more than acknowledge that for sure. So mm-hmm. I was just kind of curious. I wonder if the reason why President Wilson did not acknowledge it was because of the war. I, I'm pretty sure that's the main reason. But I wonder, I really wonder like, if the war was not going on, would he have acknowledged it? Just going back. Um, yes. I can keep researching like what other ailments he had, but it does say he had a stroke in, tw- in 1919. Uh, oh. late 1919 so that definitely oh. impacts somebody's <laughs> somebody's health okay yeah um, so i think he had a stroke mm-hmm. in 1919 but he did not die from it it no, just he really not. he was like 50 percent of like where he was at before that and then okay. on top of that he was extremely weakened from the flu so that's why i believe i was reading his wife was basically running the show and was the front-facing person in the white house until they were done with their term gotcha and gotcha. then i think the year after he was done with his term he passed away mm-hmm. so he he died in like 1921 or 1922 something like that yep 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 his sickness came at the most critical point of negotiations the flu weakened his body basically forever from that point 
Wilson, who originally fought to go easy on Germany to facilitate peace among the countries for his League of Nations, which was completely against Clemenceau, whose country, France, had endured much devastation during the four-year conflict and wanted to take a much tougher stance. So just days after coming down with the flu, a very weak and a very tired Wilson finally signed the Treaty of Versailles, which included essentially none of Wilson's original ass. He basically did not get anything he wanted. He completely folded over to just sign this thing and move on. It set the stage to a, quote, settlement so harsh and onerous to Germans that it became a provocative cause of revived German nationalism and eventually a rallying cause of Adolf Hitler. So the question remains now, if Wilson had not contracted the flu, would he have pushed harder for his demands to appear in the treaty? That is impossible to speculate on, obviously. But regardless, what came after was very harsh. As many of you may know from your history books, per the French per the French and British wishes, the Treaty of Versailles subjected Germany to strict punitive measures. It required the new German government to surrender 10% of its pre-war territory in Europe and all of its overseas possessions. It placed the harbor city of Danzig and the coal-rich Saarland under the administration of the League of Nations and allowed France to exploit the economic resources of the Saarland until 1935. It limited the German army and navy in size and allowed for the trial of Kaiser Wilhelm II and a number of other high-ranking German officials as war criminals. It also declared that the Germans are to accept full responsibility for the war Mm. and liability to pay financial reparations to the Allies. Mm. The Inter-Allied Commission was the one who determined the amount of reparations to be paid, and they calculated a total amount of 132 billion gold Reichsmark or 32 billion dollars on top of the initial 5 billion payment demanded by the treaty. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of freaking money. Yeah. For 1918. For that time. Yeah. Even for now. Even now. <laughs> so I cannot even imagine. Like, now I got to do more Googling. I'm like, what is 30? Right. What is it? 37 billion dollars in today's money. Yes. It's got to okay, be in the trillions, number. right? It's got to be. Billion. It's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> that's like kajillion dollars <laughs> um, 703 billion dollars today wow yeah yeah that's Holy the conversion okay. that's almost a trillion yes <laughs> if you round up <laughs> <laughs> which we like to do in this country yeah um, yeah but yeah so that kind of gives you an idea the germans grew to resent the harsh conditions opposed by the treaty of versailles to say the least and I mean, there's a lot of talk and speculation that it was a big impetus for, like I had already said, Adolf Hitler coming to to rise for the Second World War. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly what President Wilson did not want. He had this whole tactic and strategy. It was like, we must go easy on them. There's a reason why they declared war on pretty much half the world is because they're already unsettled and frustrated with their Mm -hmm. situation as a country. Mm-hmm. So for us to punish them further, even though we know we did, they did wrong, we know they did this and that, if we punish them further, it's only going to worsen their situation and make them even more angry. Mm. And for many, many reasons, obviously, this really these harsh reparations post-war led them to World War II. Mm-hmm. So just kind of interesting to think about, again, if he had not contracted the flu and was stronger and in his right mind and all of the things would he have pushed further to have more of his points in that treaty? Mm. Who knows? Mm. So that's one. Okay. So let's travel exactly 7,786 miles from New York City to our next destination, 
the flu slipped its way onto a ship filled with returning soldiers to the docks of Mumbai, India mm. in June 1918. Mm-hmm. This is probably the most subdued story in at least infectious disease history. Mm-hmm. I would argue history in general. Mm-hmm. They call it the forgotten flu. Well, it's truly been the most forgotten flu in India mm. by the rest of the world. Mm. India as a single country endured the most deaths due to the flu pandemic in the world. The mm. influenza pandemic cost roughly 50 million lives throughout the whole wow. pandemic. In India yeah. alone, 18 million lives were lost. Yeah, That's, that's 36% of the yeah. entire world's death toll. That is mm-hmm. wild. India lost 6% of its population in a matter of 15 months. Wow. The flu was introduced from the Midwest to the trenches of Europe, where Indian soldiers were fighting alongside the American and European allies. About mm-hmm. 1 million Indian soldiers fought in both World War I and World War II because of their colonization under mm-hmm. Great Britain. Both British and Indian soldiers brought it back to Mumbai via ships and from the docks of Mumbai, it spread all across India in September of 1918. Mm. The crematorium was getting 100 to 200 bodies a day. Streets were littered with bodies with no room to put them anywhere. And the British didn't acknowledge or help with what was going on because they weren't getting as sick. Mm. And if they're not affected by it, they're not going to make a big stink about it, right? Yeah. And another aspect of that is the british had the luxury of big homes with ample mm. open air gardens versus the very cramped city dwellers the slums of india that most indians lived in especially in mm-hmm. these cities like mumbai mm-hmm. and just north of mumbai in the state of gujarat was mohandas gandhi mm. he was traveling making speeches in fact, he was actually recruiting Indian people to fight in the Great War, which sounds kind of counter, you know, counter to what he usually preaches. Mm-hmm. His thinking on that is if the Indians prove their strength, then the British would reward them with freedom. Because mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. whole rhetoric of colonization is your colonizer is stronger, more superior and better to whoever they're colonizing. Right. Mm-hmm. So he was like, we need to show them that we are equal that we are mm-hmm. strong, that we're not a weak people. We can fight mm-hmm. and we are a patriotic people. Mm-hmm. And if we fight in this war for them, with them, they will see mm-hmm. us as such and maybe mm-hmm. give us our freedom. Mm-hmm. So basically around this time, he was kind of traveling to city to city, recruiting people, talking about this rhetoric, go fight, go fight. They will reward us with our freedom. So then after that, Gandhi actually gets very, very sick. Mm-hmm. He writes, and he's a very prolific writer at this time, like in his diary and also to letters to other people, I'm passing through the severest sickness of my life. And it's unclear whether he got the flu or not. History does not say for sure either way, and neither does Gandhi. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that the flu did sweep through Gandhi Ashram, which actually Dave and I went there when we went to Gujarat. It's basically mm-hmm. this whole like compound that he built for him and his followers, just like a place of worship and rest. And that's where he resided until the day he died. Mm-hmm. We know from history that the flu did sweep through Gandhi Ashram in particular. So it's very likely, based on the time frame, that he probably got it. He got food poisoning and then got dysentery. He's writing that his appetite was gone. He almost had to crawl to reach the bathroom and mm-hmm. writes in his diary that he was in so much pain that he constantly wanted to scream, but did everything he could to just hold it together. Mm-hmm. He thinks it was food poisoning. Mm. Definitely was not food poisoning because mm-hmm. he was sick to this level 
for five months. Oh, wow. Yeah. From August yeah. 1918 to January of 1919, mm-hmm. which lines up with the spread of the flu in India. Gandhi's daughter-in-law and son both got the flu. His daughter-in-law passed away. During this time, he's writing and he's writing. And you can kind of see like towards the beginning before he really got sick, his writing was very strong. And yes, we need to do this. It's all like action based. Like, let's go fight. Let's do this. We need to do this. We need to do that. And then as he was getting more and more sick, it gets more philosophical, more you know, mm. existential about life. Like, why? Why is this happening? I must have done something. What learn mm-hmm. from this? What is my body versus, you know, my soul? My body is sick, but I don't like my soul doesn't mm-hmm. feel sick. How do I separate? You know, just talking about things along those lines, right? And really questioning everything. And it was around this time as well that he changes his tune completely. Once he starts to get some of his strength back and he finally starts to get over this sickness, he stops recruiting. He's done with that. His mindset mm-hmm. shifts from one of strength and fighting to nonviolence, which is what we know Gandhi for. He starts talking about nonviolence mm. and resistance to the British. So completely mm. changes his tone after everything has happened to him. All this, you know, whether mm. it's due to the sickness or just the time alone spent thinking about everything. He starts protesting and starts doing the nonviolence petitions against the British and rest is history. So the last part of my story is actually coming back to the U.S., And I was on the fence of whether I wanted to come back to the U.S. or highlight a different area. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to come back because I wanted to highlight this particular person who I found very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. So the very last part of the story will be about Catherine Ann Porter. So Catherine Ann Porter Mm -hmm. is an American journalist or was an American journalist, author, novelist, and Pulitzer Prize winner for Ship of Fools, but best known for her shorter stories, including The Pale Horse. The Pale Horse kind of sounds familiar to me, but I'm not. Oh, I know that right away. But in the fall of 1918, Porter was 28 years old and a reporter for the Rocky Mountain News when she and I believe her young army lieutenant lover fell sick with the flu. She was Mm. so sick that the newspaper already had her obituary typed up, but that obituary would not be printed. Her Mm. fever was so bad that her hair, which was previously obviously all black because she's quite young, 28 years old. Mm -hmm. Her fever was so bad that her hair turned white and fell out, mm-hmm. which I've actually never heard yeah. of before in terms of like a sickness yeah. happening. I was going to say, I have heard about that, but I've mostly heard about it in animals, like young animals. Let's say you have a kitten or a puppy. If they suffer like a severe fever when they're young, sometimes their fur does turn white. And they, if you look up images of like fever fur in dogs or cats or whatever, you'll see it's a very distinct white patterning like you can tell it's not genetic it's like because of some other reason that's Mm -hmm. that's super interesting i yeah i've never heard of that i didn't know that can happen so she recalls that in the hospital the nurses and doctors talked around her very solemnly that she will pass in the night or in the next few days there was no more attention that they could give to her that will help her live so they basically just drew the curtains around her and left her the nurses come back at night to check if she was dead yet but she had not (laughs) she says and this is all coming from the pbs article i read there's also a interview clip i actually highly recommend listening to it it's her herself in her 80s talking about her experiences having the flu in the pandemic and it's so interesting when she brings it up i think she's this interview is happening maybe in the 70s i want to say like maybe the mid to late 70s and 
the way that she talks about it, she's like, yeah, when I was in my late 20s, like around 27, 28 years old, I got very, very sick. Remember that flu that went around back in the 1918 era? Like she says it that way. And it's so crazy to me. It's like people don't readily know it, I guess. Like I don't know how else to describe it. It's like you have to describe it to that length for people to catch on to what you're saying. It's just bizarre. That's definitely not the case with COVID. That that will never be the case with COVID. But just interesting to think about. So anyways, in this video, when she recalls the nurses coming back and seeing that she has not passed yet, in her mind, she says, I resisted. I could not die. I would not die. The first time she tried to sit up after slowly recovering from the flu, she broke her arm and developed phlebitis, which is inflammation of one or more veins, which just sounds like oh, incredibly yeah. painful. And it is incredibly yeah. painful. So she developed that in one of her legs and she was told she would never walk again. Yeah. But again, defied those expectations as well. Six months later, her lungs were back to normal from the flu. Her arm and leg were healed and her hair grew back, but still white nonetheless. Mm -hmm. The lieutenant died. <laughs> wow. The one that yeah, she yeah, her, her lover. lover, he just died. Yeah. <laughs> and Porter went on to write her best-selling novels out of this trauma mm. with a pretty much autobiographical novel about her getting and surviving the flu in The Pale yeah. Horse. After that, she spent time with leftist movements in 1920s Mexico, talked race with Hermann Goering in 1930s Germany, married and divorced four different men, and was nominated three times for the Nobel Prize, okay. and lived a long and fruitful life to the ripe age of whatever age. She was like well past her 80s. I think she was like 90 that's something. Like, she lived to like 98, I think, that's, actually. That's significant. It is significant. Mm -hmm. Like she definitely lived a life and had a lot to say about yeah. it too. So I just thought that was such an interesting character story from Absolutely. the time. It was the white horse or the pale horse? The pale horse. Right. But the pale horse is also an Agatha Christie novel. It is. I know. Yeah. I know. But I think it's just like a, it just like happens to be the same title. Okay. I love that you did these two character stories back to back, Catherine Ann Porter and Gandhi and how they went through these trauma of going through this illness and came out the other side in a certain way. Mm -hmm. I mean, did you comment at all on who Catherine kind of was prior to her illness? Like she was already writing. Was she already well known in the community? I'm assuming. No, she no okay. not at all. She, she was just kind of like, you know, low ranking journalist, I would say. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So um, when you're talking about Gandhi, again, I should have mentioned this earlier, but I was just mm -hmm. like listening and absorbing. Yeah, yeah of course. It's good storytelling. <laughs> so um, with Gandhi, there is one thought that came to my brain, which was like, dude, if he fought, fought this illness for five months on and off, I can see why he came out the other side as totally, you know, promoting anti-violence peace because i'm sure he was just one fucking exhausted <laughs> yeah and like i don't he you know prior to this you were talking about he's like i need to show that the indian people are strong yeah we can like fight and he's probably coming out the other side like i'm not strong right now <laughs> i know <laughs> no like i'm you can't know, practice no. what we preach yeah i'm not I'm, I'm not trying to uh you know be insensitive about yeah, yeah. it but like like physically he was probably extremely weakened and Correct. i was just like you know what if i stand by what i said formerly but there must be another way to combat co colonization evened in a weakened state so mm -hmm. here's how i'm gonna mm -hmm. proceed Correct. you know what i mean so 100%. that's what i'm thinking yeah. and then with um catherine i'm like i almost think about our lived experiences now of while 
I am lucky to say I've never gotten COVID and have not had immediate people in my life be impacted by it. But like being in the quarantine, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of like, you know, we're inside all day. Now we're uh, a whole year has passed that we've all been doing this together. Yeah. And now we're, we're talking about earlier about how we're all getting, well, most of us are getting vaccinated now and we are like ready to thrive and live and blah, blah, blah. I can see that how she was feeling that, right? Like in her work, her like literally, she was probably like, man, I went through this crazy illness where my hair turned white and fell out and I was going to die. An obituary was made for me. And now that I'm living like alive and I overcame this, I am going to live. I'm going to thrive, you know? So it's really weird to hear these stories and be like, that's how I feel in my heart. I don't know if I'm going to become a respected (laughs) novelist. I know. But like, it's inspirational to hear that. It is inspirational. And actually, I didn't even think much on it at the time until you just said it right now. Yeah. She was 28 years old. Like we're within oh, one to two years of that, right? When that happened to yeah. her. And yeah. it's it's something that, you know, I think actually now most people are very well aware of this, but in the very beginning and even the middle portion of the pandemic, we're like, oh, young people can't catch COVID or get COVID, right? right? right. And this is a very good example of no one is immune to any kind of disease. Like the disease yeah. does not discriminate against age, sex, gender doesn't matter right it will come for you yeah and it really just depends on if you're if you're so blessed enough to come out of it on the other side it's really just about what you make of that situation you know are you going to rise from it rise to the occasion and yeah yeah, these are just some really good stories of people who did and or some stories of in the case of president wilson Mm -hmm. people who couldn't you know like just were so beat down by the disease that they folded in many ways and did yeah. that alter the course of history? Perhaps. Who yeah. knows? But one thing I wanted to mention when you're talking about Gandhi, I, I mentioned that he was having very like philosophical discussions right. with his friends at the time, whoever he was writing. I was going to say emailing, but he was definitely not emailing. <laughs> he was writing to at the time. And he came to a point where he wrote this very impactful statement mm-hmm. or thought. He had this repeating question in his mind why Mm. is this happening to me Mm. and not like in a selfish way just kind of postulating like Mm -hmm. i'm curious like why did you know god choose for me to have this flu as a very like you know religious person that he was Mm. like Mm -hmm. it must mean something like what can i Mm -hmm. learn from this right Mm -hmm. and through this he he made this very thoughtful statement of my body does not belong to me it belongs to india Mm. and then from that he developed all of this rhetoric of nonviolence and this is what we need to do we need to oust the british and reclaim our country land interesting yeah one last thing that i'm looking at right now from the very last page of the Mm -hmm. new york times my times machine article Uh is again like i was telling you i was having a blast looking at these ads and things like that Uh and like what they would okay first of all the suits are still quite expensive, I would say. Like, even in today's Mm. standards. Like, I'm looking right now, December sale, men's fur-lined overcoats, $125. Yeah. That's a lot. That is a lot. I mean, fur-lined, like, (laughs) what? Yeah, like, like these people (laughs) are looking fine. (laughs) Who are these fancy people? Very fancy. And then there's a whole, like, catalog of different men's wear where they write socks as S-O-X and just, like, other fun things. Oh. And they have, they have, they're selling canes. 
walking canes and things like that. No. And then the title of it says for dad. And then it has a dash in smaller letters or him. Oh, okay. And I was like, but your damn. baby daddy. Yeah. I was <laughs> just like, gonna... damn, racy, racy for 1918. Um, yeah. That's it. Just, I am done. Just so quick. Oh no, that's that's great. That's no, that was awesome. Um, I I love that. Uh, you mentioned canes. Okay. Yeah. I like semi joke, but I it's not a joke for me. I'm like, I would love to see canes and capes brought back. Capes, mm-hmm. and I recognize you do have to live in like a colder climate, geographical region to actually utilize a cape, but like, like contemporary capes for men and women so okay and when i say cape i don't mean a freaking like wizard cloak (laughs) no or a superhero cape i'm talking high fashion yes capes like yeah okay like a french cape here's here's something that might that might be able to be the most relatable for a general audience but Mm. if you've seen beauty and the beast 1996 animated film by Disney. Yes. Okay. I know what she, there is a winter scene where she and the beast are throwing snowballs at each other. Yes. And she is wearing a fur lined cape. Yes. It might correct. be a full on cloak to be honest, but that's what I think of. It's like, it's a half cape. You know what yes, I mean? Correct. It's like a half cape thing. No, Megan, I literally had a cape. You did. That's yes, all. I yes. Did. That's yes, exactly you did. what you're talking about, which is why like, mm. as soon as you said, Beauty and the Beast. I'm like zing. Like I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Uh, I forgot that you had dark... a cape. You did you know that? You know that right? Yes. I used to, wear, used to it. wear it in college. Yes. 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 You totally did. That was loved like, it. A very capes like, and canes. I loved it. I loved it. Capes and canes. Yeah. That's gonna be the name of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, who doesn't want a walking stick you can twirl around oh. anytime oh and God. be fly as hell? Literally Anyways. be fly as hell because um, okay. you can fly on out of there on that cape. <laughs> who needs? magic carpets these days so Just good flap your cape and there you go um that was that's it. awesome i love talking fashion uh okay okay last okay, thing, yeah, last yeah, thing. Yeah. um sure. the woodrow wilson thing i did mm. like a quick okay first of all i'm horrible with u.s presidential history mm. absolutely Same. horrible Same about thing. it i could not list the our presidents uh in in order oh. or all of them for that matter are you supposed to anyway <laughs> People do like people take pride in doing that, no. and sometimes I'm a little jealous. I but like, <laughs> um, I a quick search showed to me that Woodrow Wilson had like multiple underlying health issues. His teeth um, being number one. Have you seen those teeth? Is that? Oh <laughs> no, I didn't even look at. I didn't even look at photos Did you see of those him, chompers. No, take a look. I'll have to look You'll that up in a moment. Up. But uh, I guess it's known that he, um, from a very young age suffered from strokes what just in general like when he was in his 20s he had a stroke and then like later in his life he had another stroke and then when he was old after the flu he had another stroke so he was just a sickly child uh, yeah he was just just having strokes i don't know i don't know what that that uh disorder is called i'm sure having multiple strokes in your life is a certain disorder but yeah fun fact i guess that's uh, that's so bizarre i didn't know that yeah but one thing that i thought was very alarming was his teeth <laughs> okay i'm gonna look it up right now okay poison pals do it with me yes. if you have access to your phone or your computer uh, we're gonna google search woodrow wilson <laughs> prepare we'll yourself. be objective first we'll just be objective we're just gonna type in woodrow wilson and go to images correct okay get him smiling okay which he did uh yeah okay so that's why i wanted to do this this way because you get of uh pull up images of just woodrow wilson 
He does not smile. He does not show his teeth. He knew. <laughs> he, he knew. His teeth were bad. Okay, so now we're going to go. We're going to Wildrow Wilson. Go back to the search bar. Woodrow Wilson teeth. It is the first search thing that comes up, unless Google can hear what I'm saying. Yes. It's still not a lot of photos, what? but I'm seeing like this mold of teeth. Oh, there's one. Okay, it's the first one. Very first image. Teeth. Ah, uh, yeah. Those are some. Yeah, it's. He's got like the the permanent darkness Ooh, yeah like what is that teeth. from like chewing tobacco or something i don't know and it's yeah i don't i don't know what that is but they it kind of reminds me of like you know like the old count or dracula that's yeah. supposed to have like really like yeah. messed up teeth nose nose for yeah too. yes exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. it reminds me of that oh uh, he's got some hygiene dental hygiene issues. well he could not focus on that because he was having <laughs> strokes a minute so that's that yeah okay yeah, it's so interesting now okay my all i'm thinking okay thanks poison pals for <laughs> looking that up with me now all i'm thinking is like dude in this day and age if you are a world leader and you're like having your world leader <laughs> conferences and you have gnarly <laughs> ass teeth and like that maybe that's a super westernized privileged thing for me to yeah. say it probably yeah. is but uh i'm like that must be really hard to have like professional conversations with someone yeah. in that yeah. realm who like you're like mm, their teeth not looking great well, I mean, like, you know i don't know i, I kind of i don't know I, I mean i'm assuming people who are of a world leader status are in some sort of financial situation where they are able to afford good dental hygiene is my yeah. thought i could be wrong on that but i agree like in this day and age if you're a world leader and your teeth look your chompers look like that i think it would be very very distracting teeth are so tricky because i have learned i learned in high school that you could have aesthetically not great looking mm-hmm. teeth but that doesn't mean that they're not straight you know oh, what i mean yeah. that doesn't mean that they're not healthy yeah, yeah. um where you don't where you might not need braces sort sure. of thing okay real talk i did just type in boris johnson teeth oh my god and like i'm laughing not because of his teeth i'm laughing because the first search that came up when i said boris johnson was his boris johnson hair which i think is the bigger yeah, problem yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the hair distracts more from the it teeth does. oh my god that's so shitty but like it's okay um yeah i i think i think coming from a, a point of like i think i i <sighs> I talk about these things and I know it's super judgy and super superficial, but in my head, I'm like, if I had money <laughs> and I was a world leader, give me all the goddamn veneers. Yes. Just veneer me yes. up, baby. There's no shame in the game. <laughs> Just get that fake teeth. I have it. Yeah. My front four teeth are all veneers. Poison Pals. Did Love you it. know that? The best smile Well, ever. now you know. <laughs> Secrets out. Well, that, that was, was great. That was a great okay, story. That, yeah, that was great. Thanks for yeah, sharing. Absolutely. Love the story today. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit different, All but right. I liked I liked the change of pace. So absolutely, let's do it. Let's go okay. into our antidotes. It's my, I go in first uh, yeah. today, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so my antidote is that uh, at the time of this recording, I'm actually at my mom's house up in Sacramento. I'm very lucky to be able to be able to drive from San Diego up to Sacramento and visit her and my sister. I am visiting one for Mother's Day, yes, but mostly for the end of Ramadan. It is Eid 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, My antidote is that I'm just lucky to be able to celebrate with my family and friends safely 
for the end of Ramadan. So I'm just thankful that I can, you know, come home and celebrate with my mom and sister. Absolutely. That's my antidote. Absolutely agree. I love that. And Eid Mubarak, mm-hmm. Megan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. So my antidote is it's sort of a two-parter, but blends into one another. So first mm-hmm. sort of antidote is um, I reconnected with some of my high school friends and Megan I think you know this like I have two really really close high school friends Adam and Andrew and yeah it is so funny that we just kind of followed each other we actually live like not even like a literally like a stone's throw away from each other um in my like yeah where my parents are where my parents live mm-hmm. and then we mm-hmm. ended up both moving to San Francisco and Adam and Andrew actually live in the same place together so it's just like Oh, that's right. It's like so funny, like how things work out. So we were all kind of just like in the same place for a while, which was really awesome and fun. And I obviously moved out of San Francisco. So I hadn't really talked to Adam and Andrew in some time, I would say like several months. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. Andrew actually connected with me and he was like, I love your podcast. And he's like, I've been, I know. I was like, what? I did not expect that at all. So sweet. Yeah. He's like, I've been binging it. Like I'm on episode 11 or whatever. And then he was like, I'm actually here in San Diego. Adam's going to be in San Diego. Do you guys want to all get together and hang out and catch up? I'm like, absolutely. So that's what we did last night. I hung out and caught up with both of them. And it was so, so, so good. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Yes. I do remember them. I remember I met them like once in my life briefly while we were in college but that is so amazing that y'all are hanging out yeah what'd you guys get up to um we went to Cutwater. nice water what is it called it's not distillery isn't it uh Cutwater spirits sorry that's what it's called yeah yeah went to Cutwater spirits Mm -hmm. which is like a really nice distillery in san diego Mm -hmm. and then we Mm -hmm. were not done with the night and so we (laughs) hopped over to another local brewery that i love so much Pure Project. If you guys are ever in San Diego, mm-hmm. highly, highly recommend supporting local breweries and Pure Project is definitely one of them. So yeah, mm-hmm. we just enjoyed ourselves so much and it was truly like those friendships that it's like no time has passed. And while yeah. I was talking to Andrew about it, he was like, I'm, he's like, I got my mom into the podcast too. So we, oh he's like, gosh. we just listen together like during work hours and just enjoy it together. I'm like, that is the most like That's very endearing sweet. thing I've ever heard. But yeah, oh my I'm sure you felt the same way when celebrating Eid with family and friends, but getting back into like the social circles and hanging out with people again. When I came home, mm-hmm. I just felt so elated and just felt so like mm-hmm. at peace. And I don't know, just felt really, really full and happy. So it was a good yeah. feeling. And I'm excited that we get to slowly start to like see more, more and more people as it gets more safe. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. And shout out to Andrew and his mother for (laughs) following and listening. That is absolutely sweet of you. Very cool. Awesome. That was a that was another one for the books. Okay, so I will take us out of this episode. But before before we do that, you know, the drill, guys, please, if you like this episode, subscribe, rate, review all of the above Mm. and follow us. We post a lot of fun stuff on our Instagram. So if you have an Instagram, follow us at that shit is poison. That shit's poison on Twitter. That shit is poison on TikTok. (laughs) Occasionally. Occasionally. Very occasionally. (laughs) Uh, But other than that, yeah. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate every single one of you who tune in every single week.
Okay. So let's get out of this episode. Guys, don't risk it for that 25 cent cane biscuit. (laughs) (laughs) Or the flu. All right. Or the flu. As it happens to be. That's so funny. (laughs) All right, guys. That's so funny. Goodbye. Peace. Peace.